welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, your host. Have you ever wondered what are the steps for innovating? Or to put it another way, how does innovation actually occur? It's an important question and one that product managers must answer for themselves and those that they work with. And this discussion will give you the answer. The steps for innovation are clearly described in a methodology called value innovation. It grew out of research that produced several useful tools and processes, including blue ocean strategy. One of the principal practitioners of value innovation is Dick Lee. His book, Value Innovation Works, Move Mountains, Deliver Sustainable, Profitable Growth shares the history of value innovation and examples of it working in several organizations. I asked Dick to explore value innovation with us, and he invited people from two companies who have put it into practice. So all three are joining us. Ed Wolf is with Caterpillar Trimble Control Technologies, and John Chataway is with Bobcat Dusan. And Dick helps companies implement value innovation, and his group is called, not surprisingly, Value Innovations. In this discussion, you'll learn the history of value innovation, how to determine the most important customer, a key question in any kind of innovation approach, how Caterpillar Trimble put value innovation into effect, and the benefits that Bobcat Dusan has experienced with value innovation. You'll find the written summary of our discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 166. Also, I want to tell you about a webinar that AIPMM, the Association of International Product Marketers and Managers, has invited me to do with them. It's titled, Make Great Products, tools to get ideas, select ideas, and build a business case. And on the webinar, I'll introduce you to seven innovation systems, 18 ideation methods, the one best approach to creating a business case, and a single framework for turning ideas into great products. And I hope you can attend. Register at theeverydayinnovator.com slash great. That's G-R-E-A-T. So one more time, theeverydayinnovator.com slash great. Now on to the interview. Dick, John, and Ed, thank you so much for joining the Everyday Innovator podcast. Great to have you on. It is a pleasure having the panel here. Dick helped put this together. We're going to dive into talking about value innovations. And John and Ed, you were kind enough to uh, come on and talk about your real experiences. And we'll get into that in just a moment. Dick, why don't we start with you? Can you just share the, the roots of value innovation, kind of where this thing came from as an innovation process, and uh, you know, frame a definition for us? How, do, how can we think about value innovation? So let's start first with the definition that value innovation is delivering exceptional value to the most important customer in the value chain all the time, every time. So there's a huge emphasis on the most important customer and the guts of that contextual interviewing process. And John will probably get into that a little bit. How do we get into this? In the middle 90s, there were a number of people writing papers on value innovation. Cameron, huh. Amor, Paul, Constantinus Marketis, Gary Hamill. And there was a great paper published in 1997 called Value Innovation, the Strategic Logic of High Growth. And that's what got us into value innovation. What is value innovation? What does it mean? Is there something here that we should be doing this? And then fast forwarding to 2005, W. Chan Kim and Rene Mobon published their book, Blue Ocean Strategy, mm-hmm. a book in the history of how to business school press. And it's a great book. CEOs loved it, but it has one 
minor problem, and that is there's no process that you can walk through to understand how to value innovate. And that's where we build the blank with the 10-step value innovation process, which was published uh, in a book uh, in 2012 called Value Innovation Works. So that's a quick overview. That's a great overview and a rich history of work that went into what leads up to value innovation. And I think of value innovation probably most frequently and probably what I suspect you come and uh, run into too with your customers and talking about this so much is that connection with blue ocean strategy, because that's where we kind of saw this notion of creating new value for customers really take off and expanded. But as you shared, you know, my read through blue ocean strategy, it gets you really excited about what you can do. And it gives you some tools to analyze what maybe you have done in the past, but not really a process to go forward and apply it. And, and that's what you've done with your work with value and innovation. Yes, exactly. Excellent. And you put an emphasis there on exceptional value for the most important customer, the, the MIC. Um, yeah. How do we figure out who that is? So we had to develop a value chain and we could spend half an hour doing that, maybe an hour. But the key is to look at any buying, selling, and using transaction between you and the ultimate end user and using three questions looking at this template to identify the most important customer. In the world of B2C, it's elegantly simple, okay? It is the consumer. In the world of B2B, and most of the people that we deal with are in the world of B2B, it is not clear who that most important customer is if you assume that is your direct customer, you have probably made a major mistake. Okay. For B2C, if it's consumer goods and I'm going through the grocery store, picking up my dishwasher soap for something, I'm the consumer. I would be the most important customer in that, in that sense. With, with one exception that I would also add to that, the department merchandiser of the store mm. that you're shopping at. Okay. And, and so we need to do some evaluation to see where they fit into this too. Exactly. Okay. In the B2B context, we have multiple buying roles in, involved in any kind of buying decision. So the actual user of the product or the system isn't necessarily the most important customer. It sounds like it might be the person who's most impacted by the need for that system or the uh, what that system produces. It can be the user. And Chad, you've been to the workshop, so you know we use a a study called AppliCare, and in fact, it is the user who doesn't buy the product, doesn't sell the product, but it is the healthcare professional who's actually using this catheter site dressing change kit. So it can be, but it generally it isn't. Okay. And for the most important customer, the, the MIC, you said they're caught up in this who is buying, selling, and using involved in that transaction. And you said there were three questions to think about. I just want to make sure we, we dive into this enough to help people understand what the MIC is. Okay, so the three questions are, if there is a problem with your product, service, or offering, who's responsible for fixing that problem? Number two, if there's a problem, who stands to lose the most financially? And number three is, who sees the value? Okay. Every once in a while, you get an answer to, Yes, yes, yes. But most of the times you don't, you can't clearly identify a yes in all three boxes, but we guarantee you'll find two. An example that I ran into in the past was a company that was selling a, a compliance system for information systems, right? And so this was for employees and companies to make sure that they were using their computers appropriately and not in inappropriate ways on company time. And at that time, 
the company was selling straight into the IT director because it was an IT system. And that wasn't who actually had the problem. It, it was the HR person who was charged with creating compliance. Is that a reasonable example of thinking through who the, who the MIC is? Yes. And, and IT people make us extremely nervous because they generally think that they know what most important customers' issues are, and they now program all this wonderful stuff that at the end of the day does nothing. Classic example is in the healthcare industry where the healthcare industry has for years been trying to generate paperless systems, and they can't because they've got legacy systems in place. And so they patch on top of what they've already got, but it's IT people assuming that they know what goes on at a nursing station mm-hmm. or what goes on uh, in the OR or whatever, and they don't. Uh, and they don't go interview these people either. And so there's a there's an Achilles heel there that's missing. And I'm still struggling with how do we get into hospital environments to convince the CEO of the hospital, you now need to start contextually interviewing the actual users of these systems. How do you get me the important that I information that I need now on my tablet? And you'll find in most hospitals, there are no tablets. There's just reams and reams of paper. We still have lots of paper. We do. And I'm curious about contextual interviewing, but I think it might come up as we talk through how this has been applied a little bit. So, yes, I agree. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute. This episode of The Everyday Innovator is brought to you by Product Innovation Educators, your one place for online training to make the move from product manager to product master. When you enroll in one of our online courses, it's like having Chad McAllister as your personal coach. In each course, you get video lessons, added resources, and a private community for collaboration with other product managers and innovators. And, of course, you get direct access to Chad, who will answer your questions and get you heading in the right direction. Past students tell us the concepts, practices, and tools are valuable, but the real benefits they gain are being more confident, increasing their influence in their organization, and generating greater success for themselves and their company. There are four levels of training to become a product master. Find your level now. Get started by going to theeverydayinnovator.com forward slash master. Your one place to become a product master. TheEverydayInnovator.com forward slash master. Don't wait. Get started now. I'd like to transition over to Ed. Ed, you are with Caterpillar Trimble Control Technologies. And I've had the pleasure of interviewing people at Caterpillar in the past. Trimble does navigation systems. I think this is a, a joint venture between the two organizations now. Can you tell us just a, uh, about your background there, kind of the work that you're involved in, and where value innovation has fit in? Sure. Um, I'm a product manager, so CTCZ, as you mentioned, is a joint venture. We create machine control systems, and we distribute through uh, Caterpillar, through the factory, as well as through Trimble into the aftermarket. Trimble has their own network of dealers, and they install our systems out there onto any brand machine. So my job as a a product manager, I have a portfolio of components that I'm responsible for, uh, mostly sensor components, things that... uh, determine angles or distances and things like that. And, and sorry, Ed, interrupt, just give us a little bit of context for those who haven't heard about Trimble before. I ran into this a little bit, and I just find it fascinating that we have these large construction machines with these amazing navigation systems built into them. They're doing a lot for the operator, right? 
they're streamlining the entire workflow. They, you know, improve efficiency. They bring information to the person who can make decisions like operating in the machine, whereas traditionally uh, information was uh, in, in a survey group and there were ancillary groups involved to get the job done. Now the job can be more uh, focused on the machine operator as uh, really a one-man operation that has all the information that they need to perform the earth-moving uh, activity. So uh, it improves efficiency when you get information to the right people in a timely manner, and they can work more autonomously. So if they're, they're grading dirt, if they need to make a very straight path, all these tools are now built into these navigational systems to help them understand what's going on around them and, and accomplish that. Absolutely. Every, every um, earth-moving project has a plan. You know, they used to be paper plans. Now they're digital plans. We're bringing those digital plans into the cab of the machine. Mm-hmm. So they are created in an office environment, but historically that's where the plan stayed. It was in the office, and then you had surveyors out on site putting in grade stakes to define, you know, the, the surfaces. Now the uh, information is right at the machine uh, operator. And in, in some of our systems, we actually automate the machine uh, blade movement so that the operator can just move the machine back and forth, but the blade movement is actually automated so the operator doesn't have to do that manually. Excellent. Yeah, th- th- thanks for the context. Uh, I-, I-, I personally just get interested about these large, fascinating you know, machinery. I think it's my engineering background. Um, As we all do, yes. They're, they're <laughs> marvelous machines. They're just uh, miracles. If you spend any time around them, you, you have to be in awe of what they can do. Do you work there as a product manager involved on a portfolio of sensor systems? Correct. And these sensors are used on various different machines. We uh, work mostly in the earth-moving business, but we also have mining and paving applications. We're expanding out into other areas where we believe machine control can add value. And where has value innovation fit in? If you have a a specific project to share, that would be great. Love to hear how this came to life. Yeah, so um, value innovations came to us through Mark Forrest. This is probably about seven years ago. He ran into Dick Lee and he recognized the opportunity uh, to use value innovations in the joint venture. So he's the one who got us started on it. He moved on to other roles within Trimble. So uh, he was our general manager and now he, uh, I believe he's retired actually now, but he, um, he started the whole process of getting us trained and familiar with value innovations. And uh, for me, it was a very, very useful exercise because um, it helped to understand that uh, Several key things that you know have stuck with me over the years, and I still uh, implement to this day. So, um, the idea that businesses exist to deliver value—you know—that that's pretty well known. But when you state it like that, and you think about it, you know, who are we delivering value to? Who are those customers out there that uh, have some sort of uh, touch or are involved with our product? You you start to develop the value chain, and you see where our product impacts people and what it does for them. And in many cases, you wind up with a value web. These things can get quite complicated, actually. So uh, we come to the point of understanding that we deliver value by solving a problem for our target customer group. And it might not just be one group, but there's a main group out there who really derives a lot of value from the product that we sell. And then Value Innovations helps us ask the right questions and questions such as, what are the challenges that this customer group faces? Beyond what we're doing today, what other things could we do to solve problems for that group with the anticipation that we solve problems for them and we get compensated for it? So this is an opportunity, a business opportunity. And it also opens our eyes, you know, when you do the value chain and the value web exercises, 
it, it opens your eyes to what other customer groups are out there that we can address with a product or a service that would improve their life, that would make things easier for them. Maybe there are simple things that we could do that we're not doing today that improve their experience with our product or maybe add features or maybe there's a whole new product area out there. You mentioned earlier the um, Blue Ocean Strategy. Uh, many of us are very, very excited about the concept of Blue Ocean Strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just really appeals to uh, anyone in marketing or product management to, to to find that area where there's just endless opportunity. You know, the competitive pressures are low and you can really make an impact by bringing a product or service into the market that just didn't exist before. Yeah, and this gives you a way to do that. And involved in that is, you said, asking the right questions, understanding what challenges the customer face, and looking at other customer groups that you can serve. Is there a product that you've worked on where you, you've seen a new product come to life because of those questions or that you've found another customer to serve? Yeah. So um, one of our projects uh, that we ran um, several years ago, we, um, we're a joint venture, so we're not directly customer-facing. Uh, our customer-facing groups are within Trimble and Caterpillar. So we focused on a, an internal group. What uh, we did in this project was we looked at our dealers. And uh, we recognized that there was a large opportunity with our dealers where have worldwide distribution. And um, we wanted to understand what are the challenges that our dealers face and how might we be able to address them with a product or service that improve their efficiency, make their lives easier, solve problems for them. And so what we did is we went through an, an entire project uh, to really understand this. And um, we came out with multiple um, solutions that were relatively easy to implement, um, fairly obvious in hindsight, but things we would have never actually actioned if we hadn't done the project because the project adds the discipline to actually follow through and to document what the opportunity is to come up with the solution and to follow through and deliver it. There is an aspect to all this innovation work, right? I like that you said it was fairly obvious, but the obvious doesn't get sought so much of the time, right? And from my experience, people would disagree, I'm sure, I think innovation is a very simple, straightforward thing to accomplish, but it's not easy, right? That You have to do what is required to get the work done. How did you actually go about understanding the needs of these dealers? Were you there on site? Were you doing phone interviews? Uh, how was that uncovered? The actual interviews were uh, conducted over the phone. Uh, we had people in multiple continents, you know, that were involved. And so that part, you know, it didn't involve a lot of uh, expenditure or travel. You know, that was relatively simple. But it's having the defined steps of the value innovation process that really help. Knowing what we're doing and in what order, what questions we're going to ask, and definition of done. That, you know, when we get to step 10, we are done. So, you know, many projects don't have that discipline. They just have, are at risk of meandering off into, you know, trying to do everything for everybody and you wind up doing nothing for nobody. So these, uh, the discipline of the 10-step um, the process really helped us and each step is very well defined. It tells you what you have to do. The questions are remarkably simple. The answers to those are not always so easy. So case in point, every project that we've done has started with the simple question of what business are we in? What value do we deliver? And who are our customers? That can take a week to get through that question. Because if you involve 10 people from your organization, it would be very unlikely that everyone would agree on that point within a short period of time. Isn't that interesting? There's so much learning that comes from these you know, simple questions, and we're almost never all on the same page, right? And just getting people on the same page is so valuable. Ed, could you comment on the testing unit that came out of this? Sure. 
So one, I believe we came out with nine deliverables out of this. And one of them was a testing unit because what we recognize is that our dealers, they have to go install on machines. Many machines already have harnesses installed from the factory. So the relationship that Trimble has with many of the dealer manufacturers, they are installing harnesses on the machine during the machine's um, manufacture in the factory. And then it gets delivered out into the field and it will sit there with, you know, no equipment on it, or if the customer decides to populate it, they'll go to Trimble, buy the equipment, and put it on. One of the challenges that the dealers faced was when they have a harness that's pre-installed on a machine, they do these installations, and very often what they find is there's something wrong with the harness, that Uh either it's damaged or it has been sitting out and there's corrosion on it or things like that. So they struggled, um, they articulated to us that one of their challenges is to verify that the harness is correct and working before they do all this installation that takes a lot of time and then they wind up troubleshooting only to find out that the harness has some issue and they have to go tear that all apart. So what we came up with is a harness testing kit that allows them to thoroughly interrogate that harness and make sure that it is working before they do the rest of the installation. If it's not working, they have to go in and fix that first. That's a great example, Dick. Thank you for asking about that too understanding who is involved in who we serve and how we can add value to the little things that they run into and who else is kind of infected as part of that web. You know, you talked about the, the value web provides us so many opportunities. And I love this example of here's something that the dealers deal with all the time. They, they, if they're going to attach the equipment, there's this harness and sometimes it's not working and solving that problem for them added a lot of value to your dealers, which makes it easier for dealers to do business with with you guys. It wasn't a complicated deliverable. The harness tester was relatively simple to do. I have to add, there was no new technology in there. And that's one of the pitfalls I think that um, innovation activities fall into is there's this fundamental belief that new technology has to be developed. Right. And I think VI has helped us to understand that you don't have to have new technology to actually be an innovator in the market. You have to understand the market bring out those unarticulated needs and you can deliver a lot of value in a very short period of time, just focusing on the market side of this. Very good. One of the challenges, Chad, if I can interrupt Mm -hmm. is if if you're a technician installing some equipment on a, let's say an oil mining truck in Chile at 14,000 feet, calling an 800 number to get help is not even an option. Right. You are stuck and what are you going to do? And you have to have instant answers. Just appreciating what the environment is like and what the unart- unarticulated needs are provides us new opportunities to add value. Yes. Love those examples. Real quick, Ed, I'm just curious, compared to other projects you've been on, what what's, do you see as a, kind of the big contrast with using value innovation? I mean, you talk about having those defined, you know, 10 processes yeah, so the big difference, um, Value Innovations is an innovation process. I, there are others out there, but the big difference, um, you know, we are a company of engineers and scientists, and the, the natural course of events is to start with the technology side and try and find an application for it. The VI process flips that around. It says start with the definition of the target customer and a thorough definition of the problem. You don't get into the solutions until well into the later steps. So that sequence, that order makes all the difference. If you can focus on the customers, the problem we're solving for those customers and get thorough definition of what that problem is, what it's worth to solve it, the rest of the project is actually much more simple and focused and clean. 
-hmm. in many projects that where we haven't used VI or a, an innovation process like this, you get into the project and there is a technology focus. Those projects will always be challenged by a new technology has come up or the technology wasn't as simple to implement as we had originally thought. And then you get into these other activities of, well, what does the customer really want? Do we have to deliver all of this? Or maybe we can deliver 60% of this. And then the project is basically dead. So the VI process gets the front end right. Once you have the front end right, you can always refer back to it and say, is this the right solution? Did we solve the right problem? Because if you don't, you're at risk of creating a very elegant solution to a problem that nobody cares about. And unfortunately, as product managers, we know that pain all too well. And this helps us focus from the beginning on who is the most important customer and what is the problem they have and how can we add value. So, Ed, thanks for sharing your, your experience there um, and what you're doing there with the, the Trimble Caterpillar joint venture. I love the story about the dealers and how you've helped them. John, I'm excited to also hear about Bobcat. S somehow we ended up with both of you kind of in the same uh, space in terms of these to me, I'm, I'm kind of like the boy in the candy store, right? I just love these machines and have, have, have played around them a little bit. Can you tell us about your work there at Bobcat and uh, how, how you've been putting value innovation into use? Yes, Chad, yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit opposite to Ed in a way. We're not really into the large machines. We're the, right. on the compact side. Yeah, I work for the compact loaders uh, business out of our, uh, for our European served area. And um, uh, that's something that, I do for uh, on a product management basis. So I'm also a product manager, um, but I have a dual sort of role. So I have been tasked with looking for and leading some of the innovation processes that we've been, we've been putting together in a fairly new facility that we've built in the Czech Republic, which is um, a mix of our uh, manufacturing location, uh, a training center and demonstration area, and also um, an innovation center, which we're just building with uh, with a new group group over there. So I was asked to do that because I've been involved with the development of uh, new product development systems and also voice of customer programs for Bobcat in Europe since about 2006, which is when I first uh, met Dick. I think it was 2006 or 2007, Dick, uh, that we met and uh, he was training us under the Ingersoll Rand banner in those days. Ingersoll Rand was Bobcat's parent company in those days. And uh, he trained that group on Blue Ocean. And that's where we first came across him. And with this new facility we now have in the Czech Republic, we uh, picked up the phone and asked him to come and talk to us about value innovation. That's where it started. Dick, you may or may not be aware of this. Uh, I enjoyed your workshop several years ago. There are so many of these innovation methodologies that are out there. And when people are first looking at one to get into, I like pointing them towards value innovation because it, these 10 steps are clear and it suddenly the light bulbs go off about, oh, this is really how you add value to a customer. Uh, I think it's a very good methodology. And John, it sounds like that was kind of the, the tipping point in your career to get you really involved in innovation, doing this voice of the customer work and now helping build an innovation center. Yes, absolutely. And when you talked about those 10 steps and Ed mentioned it as well, the uh, the simplicity of them, it's wrong to use the word simple because they're not. Once you get into it, as Ed rightly said, you can spend a lot of time uh, re going through those questions. But in general, it is a relatively simple process, very well structured mm -hmm. and very, very qualified. And that's what we liked. Uh, we'd used various other methods 
that were not as well qualified. And in this uh, value innovations process, each step you can go back and you can validate that. And what we like, because we're not all engineers, we have a group of uh, product managers who drive the business, uh, but we also have engineers. As Ed was saying, you know, technology starts to push ahead in places. Right. So we have to, we often have to be able to prove to our engineers that what we've been saying and what we've been finding in the marketplace is factual. And again, Value Innovations has helped us there by having a very validated process. We don't have to argue too much when we have that data in front of it. It's, it's not what we think, it's what the market is telling us. Yeah, you have information about what the consumer actually needs and the problems that they're encountering. And and do you have an example of a, of a project where this has been applied and what the change was? I was going to talk about two projects, in fact, because we've only start, started this year, and, and Dick uh, did the training for us in February, and then we had a few organizational changes, which meant we slowed up a little bit. But in the meantime, before we ran a pilot project, um, and Dick, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but by accident we used some value innovation work on some voice of customer activity that I was asked to do in the Middle East for a new product that we were releasing there. And it was extremely valuable. We cannot describe how it changed our view of the information that we were taking from those customers. So we only used a couple of the steps. We didn't do telephone interviews because uh, we were not able to do that. So these were visits that we made. But we, we used the most important customer methodology and we use contextual interviewing and it was really dramatic the change in the um, the quality of the information that we were receiving and we were able to you just using those two small pieces of the the process we were able to in about three to four months uh, develop a value curve validated and injected into this new products uh, changes that were required uh, to help us push through into the market. So it was extremely valuable at first session, uh, but it was a little bit by accident. I, I, I say, I hope you don't mind me saying that. It wasn't fully value innovation, but we were listening at the time. No, you did a great job, John. You listened to what, and, and you, what you did was adapt to the circumstances. You couldn't do telephone interviews with those folks in Qatar. or where, I think you were in Qatar, weren't you? Uh, Qatar, Kuwait, and uh, UAE, yes. Yeah. yeah. But... Um, but the, uh, the the point was that we were doing this while we were waiting to start our pilot project. And then the, the pilot project started up. And in fact, there we used the full process. And we've just come out with the results of that and been sharing it with the engineering groups and the marketing groups just yet this week. And again, the, the great thing is that we're able to validate everything that we have uh, found uh, through that 10-step process. So we ran it on uh, a particular product, so one of the loader products, where we have a problem within a region. So we have a difficulty in a region um, related to a market that's declining, uh, not declining because of anything that we do wrong as a manufacturer, but just general uh, business changes. So we were searching for ways to try and keep a market uh, a little bit more alive, and we followed the value innovation process using the telephone interview techniques. And um, we have found that it's, again, extremely efficient and very good in terms of this uh, quality of information that we're able to fully validate when we take it through to our uh, other functions. And it's not just um, product-related. I mean, that's the other point to say is that um, we have found that probably uh, 
only 30 to 40% of the values that the customers were talking to us about were related to actual products. We found that there were, in a lot of cases, the services or the support functions that we offered as a company, they were equally as valuable. And um, maybe something that you said, Ed, it was quite simple to, to do something, it wasn't particularly innovative, but the fact is we weren't doing it. It was almost like a, a continuous improvement was required mm-hmm. rather than something absolutely innovative. When you talk about a loader, this is a skid loader, one of the, these relatively small machines, right? A little smaller than a, a car with That's four correct. wheels or the tracks. And they're, they're great when I was doing the landscaping work for my house, moving dirt around and leveling things out. And you can add a ton of attachments to them. And I'm such a geek about this stuff that uh, Bobcat makes a uh, magazine that comes out periodically called WorkSaver, which I used to get. And my wife always did not like delivering it to me from the mail because she would know I would start talking about which Bobcat I really wanted to buy whenever this came out. Not that one needs one, but living at a high altitude in Colorado, it would be useful for moving snow at times these days. But they're good, easy to rent. That's a good thing to know. Um, Exactly. Part of that story that I like so much was that you were interested in keeping a market alive, right? Trying to extend the product in this maturity curve, it sounds like, that you know we have competitors coming into the, pro- into the marketplace, customers doing other things. Let's figure out how we can add more value to our product, our product line, and kind of rejuvenate it. And in the process, you also found new services that can you know be part of the product to add even more value. That's that's right. Yes, and we we found that. And let's talk a little bit about the most important customer. We were quite focused on a, a number of um, how would I say that um, uh, channels that we were selling through. So we were clear who we wanted to speak to. But it became increasingly obvious that there were some heavy heavy influencers in that business. Uh, one of them, which came up to us, which was quite strange in a way, were health and health and safety. We're all very mindful of product liabilities and health and safety, but we didn't realize just how helpful they could be as an influencer to the uh, the purchasing or renting of the machinery in certain certain markets. And that was the type of thing that value innovate. I think only value innovation through that contextual interviewing process can bring out. You you will not find that by just chatting to the customer over a cup of coffee or going to see what they're doing on a on a job site. It doesn't come. You need to talk to them. Yeah, yeah, and talk to them in a structured way. And the Correct. tools are there in VI to help us know what that structure is. Thank you, John, for sharing uh, some of your experience with that too and how that has really helped there at Bobcat. Dick, I suspect that the everyday innovators listening right now might be finding some interest and frustration at the same time because we're talking about these 10 steps and they're probably anxious to hear about what this is. And what I would very much like to do for listeners so that we can find out about this is could I do a follow-on discussion with you, Dick, and you go through those 10 steps with us so that uh, listeners would know what it really is involved in applying value innovation? Of course, yes. That would be excellent. So for those that were hanging on, listening to wondering about when we're going to get into the details of that, do that in a separate episode and looking forward to, to do that. Uh, maybe we do that real soon, actually. This does bring us to the time that I always like to ask for an innovation quote. And Dick, you were going to share one with us. And tell us why you picked that one. Well, so I picked this because it's Mark Forrest, who was the chief operating officer and general manager at Caterpillar from Control Technologies, and Ed referred to him. So I thought what I would do is to share with you what Mark said 
because he was the individual who, in fact, got CTCT into this whole thing. And this is what he huh. said. The value innovation process helped us identify the specific individuals within the target customer organizations who are, are our most important customers and to focus on developing value propositions that meet their articulated and unarticulated requirements. You think about that, that's, I mean, that's it. That's the heart of it right there. And we're not talking about focus groups. We're not talking about voice of the customer. We're talking about identifying unarticulated, unmet needs. And that's what the value innovation process is all about. And once you understand those problems, you as Ed and both John shared, you can come up with solutions. Mm -hmm. Solutions are easy once you know what the problems are. You know, that's related to one of my favorite Einstein quotes, which uh, this is a paraphrase because I'll probably get it wrong. But you know, he said something in effect that I, if I only had one hour to solve a problem, I would spend 55 minutes understanding what the problem actually is and then five minutes solving it. Because the solutions become often self-apparent when we truly understand those unarticulated and articulated needs of the customer. Yes. And and. Chad, you and I both come from a product background, so I tend to think that anything that's got to be new and innovative by definition has to be product or technology, and we couldn't be further away from the truth. It's generally elegantly simple things like changing the business model or the way we sell the product or how we service it or how we support it. So there are many, many ways that you can value innovate. It doesn't have to be product and technology. Excellent. So to, to sum up, um, I'll make the connection back to Blue Ocean again, which is, uh, Ed, you said this so well, that when the Blue Ocean strategy came out and that book became available that we all read around 2005, that got us really excited about this notion of, hey, we can go where customers aren't yet and create this new market that we don't have competitors in and really, you know, own a new space. And product managers were excited about that as much as business leaders. But we found out trying to implement those tools we didn't really have a clear path to get there. And the path uh, of value innovation, Dick, that you've put together with some others, gives us those 10 clear steps on how to actually get there. And John and Eddie are both great examples of having put that into practice. And now that we've got listeners excited about that, we will follow up with what the 10 steps actually are. Dick, can you just share how people can find out more about value innovation? So, yes, we have a website, www.valueinnovations.com. It looks elegantly simple, but it's packed with information. So that quote that I gave for you, the testimonial from Mark Forrest is on there, along with many others. The 10-step process is on there, and we get into value curves and all kinds of other tools. Uh, we have a couple of e-learning courses on Udemy. That's www.udemy.com. We have a book that was published in 2012 called Value Innovation Works, which is literally a handbook on the 10 steps of the value innovation process. I tweet on a fairly regular basis using the avatar at B-I-R-K-L and get into a number of subjects depending on what markets we're talking about serving. Thank you, Dick. And I will put links in the show notes to those resources too. And I also put links into the LinkedIn profiles for you, John, and you, Ed, if, in case anyone wants to just uh, follow up, reach out, expand their network. John or Ed, anything that you want to just wrap up with us? Sure, Chad. Um, I'm glad to hear that you share in the joy of heavy machinery with many of us. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a great joy. And uh, on the topic of innovation, you know, it, it's a very hot topic. You know, it can be a buzzword. 
but I would challenge anyone out there who's thinking about innovation to visualize what's a successful outcome. When you talk about innovation, what is the outcome that you're trying to achieve? And then secondly, ask the question, what process are we going to use to get there? Thank you. Good on VI and on the big machinery. Anyone that has an interest in this, you got to stop by the Caterpillar Visitor Center where you get to sit in the back of one of their mining trucks and just appreciate the scale of that thing. And I've seen these trucks in action at mining sites, but you can get like 100 people on the back of one of these. So they're, they're, they're just amazing to be around. So thanks, Ed. Thank you. Um, John, anything else to wrap up with? No, just to say I've enjoyed this chat. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, let us know if we can help you out on uh, anything when you come to buy that uh, snow cleaning bobcat. Just give us a call. Absolutely. Cool. You know, I, I'll, I'll need some help in knowing how to, how to actually make good use of it. Chad, you, you referred to the attachments. You can go onto the Bobcat website, and here's a plug now for Bobcat. There are 30 attachments that you can put onto a Bobcat. You can do unbelievable damage with a Bobcat. <laughs> it's just amazingly versatile. So fascinating discussion. Thank all three of you. I Thank you very much for being part of this and uh, sharing what value innovation is about, kind of the key focus and how it's made some real differences to these uh, substantial products uh, that I personally have a lot of enjoyment around just thinking about uh, the machinery. Appreciate your time, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you, you Chad. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. Find the summary of the discussion about value innovation at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 166. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.